Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. It's so uh, fun to be here. It's so fun to, to do baptisms. That was awesome. It's been, been great. I am excited to, to begin this series with, with you guys today. We're, we're diving into this letter of, of 1 Peter, and we're, we're calling our series The Struggle is Real, and I think that's going to become more and more clear as we talk through today and as we go into the series over the next seven or eight weeks. And so, I really, truly believe that this is going to be a powerful series for us. There's a lot of content in this short letter. There's just five chapters in here of First Peter, and it is so applicable to our lives today. But one thing I think that is pretty awesome about the Bible is that we can understand and we can learn that it was written in history. It was written to specific people, or in some cases to a specific person, and it was written for a specific purpose, usually to answer, you know, a a real issue that was happening, especially as we look at the New Testament epistles. They were written to people struggling and learning how to, to be Christ followers in this first century setting. And so we know that it was written for people in a specific time. And I think that if we can learn to understand what that original intention, what the author's original intention, what he was trying to, to say, and how the, the content would have been understood by its first recipients, then we can more accurately um, understand what the Bible is saying to us. We can learn how better to apply it to us when we understand it in its context. So that's good. That's exciting. And so today, we're going to be doing just a broad overview um, of of the context of this uh, biblical letter. And we're going to look at who wrote it. We're going to look at when it was written, what was happening during the time it was written, and why it was written. And then uh, we're going to look at how we can apply kind of the, the overarching themes that we find in this book into our lives today. Okay? That sound good? You with me? Okay, so this letter, as we see, as we read through it, is a letter of hope, it's a letter of encouragement, and it's written to a community of believers who are undergoing suffering and undergoing persecution. All right, it's a, it's a letter uh, intended to encourage the hearers to stand strong and to live holy and faithful lives in the face of this suffering. And so this morning, to kind of give us a, a current, a contemporary handle on this story that happened, or this historical context that happened some 2,000 years ago. So we can, I'm going to help you to put it in some uh, a context that we can understand. So I thought that I would start by looking at a popular movie that can help us to understand the story of hope. So, so, hope. So, here it comes. Classic. There it is. What? What? What's this? Yeah. So you see, friends, I am not a one-trick pony. I I've watched a lot of movies. So planning on seeing San Andreas. So who knows? That could show up later on. Not today, but in the future. So 
Okay, so we're going to talk about the X-Men. Mark, what does the X-Men have to do with the historical culture of, of First Peter? Well, when we look at the X-Men, we see that it is a story of outcasts. It is a story of these mutants who are mistrusted, who are hated. People want to throw them in prison. People want to, to kill them. People are afraid of these outcast mutants, right? And so they are on the outside. They don't belong, right? It's a society of normal people like you and I, right? And here's these crazy weirdos with these special powers, and they don't belong. We don't trust them. We don't like them. But these X-Men, these mutants, are saved out of the world, right? Professor Xavier has this crazy thing where he puts a helmet on his head and he rolls into this weird orb, giant orb-like room, right? And he telepathically or some, somehow, he, he identifies mutants all over the world. And when he finds a mutant who is in trouble, who is enduring persecution, who is in trouble in high school and didn't get on the cheerleading team or whatever it is, he sends the X-Men out. He says, go save them. And the X-Men, you know, Cyclops and Wolverine and Storm, they, they get in the, in the... That's not a Quinjet in X-Men, is it? Is that Avengers? There it is, the X-Jet. So they get in their jet, and they, they fly off, and they save this person. And they find this mutant who's being persecuted, who didn't get on the cheerleading team. They say, come with us, and we're going to take you to Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. Right? And in the school, these mutants, these outcasts, they find a home. They find relationships. They find friendships. They find acceptance, and they find love. Now, I might be reading a bit much into Xavier's school, but just roll with me on this one, okay? And so they are, nothing necessarily has changed, right? People still mistrust them. They're still hated, but they are now in a community where they find acceptance and where they belong. And it's in this context of acceptance and love and friendship that they are sent back out, they're sent back out not just to find more mutants and outcasts to bring them back to the school, but no, the X-Men are sent out to protect the very people that would imprison them and kill them and destroy them if they had a chance. The X-Men are sent out to, to protect these normal people that mistrust them from the evil Magneto who wants to just rule everybody, right? Yeah. That's right. And so this is the story of First Peter. <laughs> Stick with me on that. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. All right, so, all right, so outcasts. We're talking about outcasts that find a home, that find relationship. All right? I sent out into the world. Okay, so take that X-Men analogy, the X-Men example, and just stick a pin in that. We're, we'll, we'll try to come back to that later. Just put that off to the side. That is our contemporary understanding of the historical context of First Peter. Okay. So, let's go back into the historical context. Who wrote 1 Peter? Any ideas? Yes, it was Peter. Good job, guys. You are really coming along. Just kidding. So, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we first meet Peter in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And so we find 
Uh, Peter, for the first time, is a fisherman on the Sea of, of Galilee in Capernaum. And this is where Peter lived and worked. This is where his, his wife was. We know he had a wife. We don't know if he had kids. But, so he lived here in Capernaum. He was a fisherman. And Jesus comes up one day and says, Hey, why don't you throw that net down and come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And so Peter said, okay, let's go. Let's do it. And Peter became one of the original 12 disciples. All right, and these 12 disciples, they followed Jesus around for some three years. And they listened to his teachings, right? They watched him heal people. They watched him cast out demons. They watched him feed 5,000 people from one young boy's lunch, right? And so Peter and the other disciples saw and heard all that Jesus did. And not only was Peter one of the original twelve, um, he was actually in the top three, all right? If, for lack of a, a better term, right? Because we often see throughout the Gospels that Jesus would say something like, hey, James, John, and Peter, why don't you guys come with me? We're going to go do something special, right? And I don't know how the other guys felt about that. Wouldn't that be disappointing? If it was like, Jesus is like, hey, I'm just going to take these guys. Why don't you guys do, do something over there? We're going over here. You know, and that must have been hard. But we don't, we don't know. We don't know why, this, why he did this. That's unimportant. Scratch that. So G Peter was one of the, in this top three, and he got to do special things. For instance, James, James, John, and Peter went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. That must have been exciting, right? He, they go up on, on this mountain, and Jesus is glorified, and they hear the voice of God, and Peter does some silly things. It's a, it's a fun story. Um, and so that would have been awesome, right? And Peter also was invited by Jesus to pray with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. All the disciples were invited. Like, we're going into the garden. We're going to pray. James, John, and Peter, why don't you guys come with me? We'll have our own special prayer meeting over here. And they're like, well, we'll just pray by ourselves. I was just stuck with Thomas again. Whatever. <laughs> so, anyway. And so, and, so this, what, and so James and John and Peter were kind of these special guys. They had a special, close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Peter is also the one that we, we read about in the Gospels who walked on water, who stepped out of the boat, right, and, and walked towards Jesus for a little while, and then he kind of started falling into the, the water, and Jesus picked him back up. And that must have been amazing. Even walking on water for a couple steps would be great, Right? And then we see that Peter denied Jesus as we continue his story through the Gospels. Right? Right after he said, even if everybody else turns away from you, Jesus, I am never going to turn away. I will follow you always. And then pretty quickly there, he denies Jesus three times and the rooster crows. And it is a, it's a heartbreaking story of this man who followed Jesus for three years and then denies him right in the, in the face of, of his... Uh, his arrest, right? And it was difficult. But after this denial, Peter is kind of feeling bad. After the resurrection, Jesus, the, it says in the Gospels, and Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, that Jesus met with Peter one-on-one. -on -one. And he met with Peter one-on-one, -on -one, and I think he was kind of encouraging him, right? And then publicly, Jesus reinstates Peter in front of all the other disciples. And so Peter is back. He doesn't, don't worry about that denial thing. I forgive you. I love you. You're still a big deal. You're still one of the top three. Thomas is like, dang it. Anyway, and, <laughs> and <laughs> at, at Pentecost... <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. Uh, 
uh, at Pentecost, we see Peter is hiding in, in, the, in this upper room, right, with all the other disciples, and they're scared that the, these people that just crucified Jesus a few weeks ago are going to come track them down and kill them too. And so they're hiding, but then the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost, and we see Peter emboldened, and he is out there in the streets preaching Jesus Christ, the, the, the resurrected Son of God, directly to the people that crucified him just a few weeks prior to that. And we see from Pentecost, Peter goes out on some missionary journeys and he plays this integral, integral, one of those words, part at the, the founding, the, the birth of the early church in, in Jerusalem. We see him play a pivotal role throughout the book of Acts. Right? And so that is who Peter is. That's the short version of who Peter is. And because of this history that he had walking with Jesus, we call him one of our apostolic fathers. And he carries this apostolic authority. And so when Peter speaks, when Peter writes, we listen. Right? right. Yeah, so that is what gives the letter of 1 Peter its apostolic authority. That's a fun thing to say. All right, so we know who wrote it. It was Peter. But who was Peter writing to? And in chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Peter was writing to God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right? And so we can see that he is writing to Christ followers, to God's elect. And he was writing to um, these locations are uh, Roman provinces in the, the northwestern Asia Minor, what is today, um, moder- uh, currently is Turkey. And there were some people that went to Turkey from this church a few years ago, and they traveled around this area. They were in Cappadocia, and they saw some of these caves and buildings where these early Christians were, were living at this time. Very exciting. And so, was it good? It was- Awesome. And so he's writing to, to God's elect, these Christ followers. Most likely they were Gentiles, um, the, the Gentile believers that were scattered right throughout these provinces. And we, these exiles, they were, um, so Gentiles or Christ followers that probably were living in Jerusalem or living in Palestine there. And during the, the time of the book of Acts, we see that persecution rises up in Jerusalem, and the, the, the Jewish leaders are persecuting the church, and it's called the diaspora, or the dispersion. These, these Christ followers get out of Jerusalem. I was going to say get out of Dodge. They get out of Dodge. Get out of there, right? And so they're scattered all about, and some of them land here in Asia Minor. So there's Christ followers that were exiles, that they were scattered. And what we can learn from that is that these uh, Christians living in this area, they were not locals, okay? And that is incredibly significant to, to understand the, the context of First Peter, that he's writing to a people who were being persecuted because they didn't have a place. They didn't belong where they were. And so exiles in, and scattered, so they were seen as foreigners or aliens living in in the, in the cities and the cultures throughout Asia Minor, right? And so these terms, exiles, scattered, refers to people in specifically low social conditions. They were residing in a, in a place without legal rights, without legal protection that was given to citizens in that time. And we can see 
that this uh, exile scattered refers probably more to their social situation than it does to their spiritual situation. Certainly, there is a, a spiritual correlation, right? They were exiles and we are aliens here in, in a sense. Paul talks about, right? But their social context was that they were foreigners. They were aliens. They didn't have a place where they belonged, right? And it's, so we see that these People, these Christians that Peter is writing to are these disenfranchised workers that are laboring in the, the cracks of, of a network that largely excluded them. Right? They didn't have a place. They were socially marginalized resident aliens. And when the, the Roman Empire talked about these people, they, they put them in this place. They had a little bit more standing than like a slave, but they were certainly less than a citizen. So they were kind of living in this weird limbo, and they had a lot of restrictions in their day-to-day -day lives. That was the, the empire would tell them who they could marry, it would talk, tell them how much or what kind of land or property they could own. Normally, it, it wasn't much. All right? They were not allowed to vote. They were not allowed to be part of any civic associations. And, we, and they, were, they were taxed higher than the normal people. And when they got in trouble, they were more severely punished than everybody else. Right? And so that was the kind of life that these people were enduring, that were following Christ during this time. And they were constantly exposed to, to local fear and suspicion. They were slandered and they were discriminated against. They were manipulated and they were just seen as these social outsiders. And so we can see that the people that Peter is writing to are homeless, right? They are marginalized. They are disenfranchised. They don't belong. They don't fit in. And they were looked at with suspicion. They had no place in their society. Similar to the mutants. Am I right? You see where I'm going there? Oh, good one, Mark. Very good. Okay, moving on. All right, so they were set apart from the local society. We touched on that. And from J.H. Eliot, who, who wrote a commentary of First Peter, they were viewed as threats to established order and native well-being. They, they were not trusted. You know, so they were trying to live. They were trying to, to get through life, right? And, but people were turning against them. People didn't trust them. And it would have been difficult for these guys in that context. So, that is, that is who Peter is writing to. But when was it written? I'm trying to keep, this is not history class. It's like history class with the Holy Spirit. It's more fun. And the X-Men. <laughs> Shut up, Cyclops. Anyway, all right, so that was written, it was certainly written before 64 or 65 AD because this is when Peter was martyred under Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero was not a good guy, which we are going to get to in a bit. We see throughout the letter that Peter keeps talking about persecution. And there is a Greek word that he uses over 18 times that is translated suffer or suffering or suffered, right? And so, and that is on top of of in, the, in chapter 1, he talks about trials, you know, enduring trials. And then in chapter 4, he talks about, you know, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. And so we see 
18, probably over 20 different times where in this five chapters, Peter is talking about enduring persecution, enduring suffering. And so, if that's the case, we know it was written before 64, 65 AD, but we know that the church was enduring persecution. That is how we kind of land in this idea that the letter was written somewhere between 62 and 65 AD, near the beginning of the great Christian persecution under Emperor Nero. And I just want to, and so they're probably at the, the beginning stages of this. The, the persecution probably hadn't kind of hit in all its fullness, but it was definitely beginning, and it was definitely a difficult situation for these Christ followers at this time. And so, just to give you an understanding of who Nero was and the kind of culture that these Christians were trying to live in, I'm going to read something by Tacitus, a Roman historian. And I know that you guys are like, shoot, this was starting to get a little boring, but at least now he's reading Tacitus. So it can only go up from here. <laughs> mm. So Tacitus is this Roman historian who is writing about this situation in the mid-60s AD. In 64, there is a great fire in Rome, and Emperor Nero is blamed for it. And I'm not exactly sure, I couldn't tell if he actually did it or people... He, we're just blaming him for it, but regardless, he decided that he needed to come up with a scapegoat. I need to kind of shift some of the blame off of me. Maybe I could find somebody who people already don't trust, somebody that people already kind of hate, that could kind of take this off of me. Oh, I got a great idea. I'll blame the Christians. They're kind of weird. And so this is what the historian Tacitus has to say about this time. Uh... Hence, to suppress the rumor, he, Emperor Nero, falsely charged with the guilt and punishment with the most exquisite tortures, the persons commonly called Christians, who are hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate. And so, interestingly, this is kind of an aside, this is free, that this is one of the extra-biblical accounts of a non-believer um, that is referring to Jesus Christ. And so we see it here in Tacitus, we see it in the writings of Josephus from the first century and a couple other people, that there really was a man named Jesus Christ who really did do some pretty crazy things and led some followers for a, a while. All right? And so these are the non-Christians. We know that he did some miraculous things. We can't explain it, right? But we know that Jesus was an actual historical person outside of the witness of the Gospels in the New Testament. So, interesting. All right, so Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again not only throughout Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also, where all things horrible and disgraceful flow. <laughs> Apparently he didn't like Christians and he didn't like Rome. He was just kind of... In, anyway, he was grumpy. <laughs> exactly. So, accordingly... Be, you know, he blames these Christians. Accordingly, first three were seized who confessed that they were Christians. Next, on their information, a vast multitude were convicted. Not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race. I just think that's really interesting. And in their deaths, they were also made the subjects of sport. 
For they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs, or nailed to crosses, or set fire to, and when day declined, burned to serve for nocturnal night, nocturnal lights. Wow. That's pretty intense. Right? And this is the time, this is the culture that the letter of First Peter was written into. And like I said, it's probably not in the heart of these persecutions, but definitely at the, the beginnings of these things. And so why was First Peter written? In uh, one commentary, which I thought was really good, his name is Scott McKnight, he said it was written to show how should we live in this social context of social exclusion and persecution. So we probably have these these Christ followers trying to, to do life. They're scattered. They had to leave their homes in, in Palestine. They've landed up here in Asia Minor, and they are being significantly persecuted. And they're probably asking questions. You know, what are we supposed to do in the midst of this? You know, should we escape to a more sheltered world? Should we withdraw from society? Should we turn a cold shoulder on this world and, and maybe get some milk crates and we could stand on the street corners and preach judgment and, and fire and brimstone and maybe that'll help things, right? And these are the questions. They're like, we don't know what to do because this is really, really hard. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage right living in the midst of this suffering. I think what we see throughout the, the book of 1 Peter, that he, does not, he doesn't say, yeah, overthrow the government, fight back. Right? He says to live rightly in the midst of this suffering. And in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, this is Peter writing, of course, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... Here again, we have a repeat of this theme from chapter 1, that they are foreigners, that they are exiles that are scattered, right? So, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires. Live such godly lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That was Peter's encouragement. To live godly and holy lives in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of your suffering. With the intention being that those pagans who are the ones that are accusing you, those pagans who are the ones who are persecuting, could see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And Peter continues on as we, as we read through his, his letter that they are to endure suffering because they are following Christ's example. Right? We see through the Gospels that Jesus Christ, the pure and spotless Lamb, endured unjust suffering when he was nailed to the cross and crucified. Right? And just as Jesus endured that righteously, we are to follow his example and endure our suffering because of Christ's example. That was probably a hard pill to swallow. And Peter also, throughout the letter, we see that he writes them in, to encourage them to hold on to hope. First Peter 1 here says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. He's, he's not saying, 
You're not going through hard things. He's not saying, well, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. He's saying, I know that it's hard. I know that you're enduring persecution. I know that you're enduring this, this suffering and this difficulty. But turn your eyes to your eternal hope. Turn your eyes to Jesus Christ because he has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten about you. And the things that you're enduring right now are not the end of the story. We have a promise that we will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. Well, we'll spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. But anyway. So, 1 Peter 4. I didn't have room to put it on the slide, so I'm just going to read this one. 1 Peter 4 starting in verse 12, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised that tough things are happening but rejoice because you know that the glory to be revealed is going to be amazing. And it, it's just the, the idea of holding on to hope in the midst of the persecution is a theme that we will see Peter come back to over and over and over again. And then, and this, I think, for me, really jumped out really significantly. I never really saw this uh, before preparing for this message. The the amount of times that Peter encourages his readers to live well in the community of believers. All right? And so, this, this is interesting. So, here in chapter 3, 8, he says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. And what he's talking about here is in the context of Christian community, in the context of Christian fellowship, that you're to be like-minded and sympathetic and to love one another. That's how you live in community in the midst of persecution. Above all love... Sorry, this is much smaller than I anticipated. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Right? And so he encourages the Christian communities to love each other deeply. Right? They are going through persecution and pain and trials and ordeals. And they don't need to be backbiting and talking about each other and dishonoring each other. Like, they're in this together. Like, you guys need to pull it together and love each other. Because you can walk through this more strongly in community than you ever could by yourself. So awesome. All right. 4.10 says, Use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Right? And so he's calling them to serve each other and to show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Right? That's what we're called to do. To show respect for everybody. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Who is the emperor? Nero. Nero. Ooh, that seems harsh. Honor the empire? Wait, he's crucifying people and setting them on fire. Hmm. Interesting. Food for thought. So, how do we apply this today in our lives? I think first and foremost, we can learn, we can take away from this book of 1 Peter, the, the letter of 1 Peter, that we belong to a family of God. 
right? In our current circumstances, our social, economic, or physical realities do not determine our hope. They do not determine our joy. They do not determine the the level of holiness or righteousness that we are going to live in. They do not determine how we are going to live in this community. We are going to, to love this culture. We are going to honor our emperor. We are going to love the family of believers, regardless of what is happening in our circumstances. And our circumstances do not mean that God has forgotten about us. They do not mean that we are unimportant to God. Because the truth is that God is with us in the midst of the persecutions, in the midst of our trials and troubles. Right? The, the, the psalm says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So we know and we can see through the book of Peter that Jesus has not forgotten. Jesus has not abandoned them. He is with them and he promises them a, a future hope. And he fills them with the, the fruit of the Spirit that they can have joy and peace and love in the midst of these persecutions. And they can walk it out because they are in community. And when one person is struggling, right, somebody else can come up and can love them and encourage them. Right? And we are in it together. We are stronger together. And this is the Scott McKnight again. He said that while they are socially strange and foreign in Asia Minor, while they are excluded, powerless, and homeless in the Roman Empire, in God's family, they are citizens. They are included. They are royalty. They are at home as God's people. And just in the same way that these, uh, these early uh, first century Christians were living far from home, they didn't belong, they were social outcasts, they were persecuted and made fun of and taken advantage of, they were part of the family of God. They belonged to God. And in the same way, whatever you are facing today, whether, you know, you're, you know, I lost my job, or, you know, my, somebody in my family is sick, or we just lost a loved one, it just feels so hard, it feels so hopeless. God, where are you? You know, God is with you in the midst of that, and your circumstances uh, don't dictate how you're going to respond. But as you come into the family of God, as we, as you allow us to, to walk with you through it, to, to love you through that, and we can continue to point out that God has not forgotten about you. God has not abandoned you. There is a hope. And the thing that you're dealing with is not the end of the story. Amen. And in 1 Peter, this is the last scripture we're going to look at today, is this amazing, amazing verse. Now remember that, that Peter started by talking about how you are foreigners and you are exiles. You are scattered. He even says at one place that you who were not a people... He says that now you are a people. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You, right now, right here, are a chosen people. God has chosen you. He has called you. As you follow him, as you surrender your life to him, he makes you into a royal priesthood, which means that you have full access to God. 
You have full access to Jesus Christ. You have full access to the Holy Spirit. And you are a holy nation. You are not hopeless. You are not alone. You are part of this family. And we can, we can stand firmly knowing that our identity is not social outcasts, but our identity is sons and daughters of the living God. And so, no matter what you're going through, what our outside circumstances are, remember that you are a part of God's family. That our identity is a chosen people. That we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. And we can stand secure in that identity. And we know the end of the story. Regardless of what's going on, we know the end of the story. That God defeats sin. That God defeats death. And we spend eternity with God in peace and in pleasure. And, and in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says this. He says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So let's pray. Father, we just come to you humbly. And God, I don't know where everybody is today, but certainly there are, there are some who are enduring pain, who are enduring trouble, who are enduring difficulty. There are people here that feel hopeless, alone, and abandoned. God, and I pray that your spirit would just come and begin to minister to them right now. God, that you would reveal that they are a chosen one, that they are a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe, and that they are part of a family. They're part of a community of believers and we are all walking this life together as we look forward to the eternal hope that is held in heaven for each one of us. Thank you, Father. And so we just ask that you would just bless us today. God, bless every person here. Let them take this knowledge of their family of God everywhere they go today. Amen.